0: All right, Mark 16, and we're down now verse 19 and 20, so we're coming to the conclusion of the book, and uh, we'll look here tonight and probably end up finishing up maybe next week. Uh, depends on uh, how things, uh, well, we, I know we will because of the issue in verse 19 of sitting on the right hand of God. I want to uh, kind of dive into that a little deeper, but not tonight, we'll do that next Uh, next week so verse 19 so then after the Lord had spoken unto them he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God and they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following amen now again this is obviously after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ is the commissioning here when he says, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, so he he's finished the post-resurrection commission there, verse 15, 16, 17, and 18, and this is the night of the resurrection, um, he's spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now this, the ascension event, according to Acts 1, Luke 24, is 40 days later, okay, so He doesn't get done speaking and then gone. There's a a time here. And what Mark is doing, so verse 19 and 20 is 40 days later, all right? He's received up into heaven and so forth. But what Mark is doing here is he's making a point that the commission that he just gave them is going to be carried out in his absence. If you look at Matthew 28. Uh, Just look at Matthew 28. So Mark, in his absence, this is what they're doing. Matthew 28, verse 20, verse uh, 16, 28-16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now watch verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Here, he <coughs> this commission is going to be carried out In his presence, lo, I am with you always. This is going to be carried out in the millennial kingdom. So in Matthew, they're going to do this commission over in the kingdom, millennial kingdom, the thousand years, in his presence. Mark, in his absence, if you come over to Luke 24, Luke chapter 24, this commission, uh, Luke 24, verse 51 And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Luke's commission is in his absence. So what Mark is doing here, there's a timing element involved. And the commission now is to go do in his absence. And that's literally what Mark is is focusing in on. Here's what they're going to do in his absence. Now, you're in Luke 24. Uh, come back to chapter 19, Luke 19, okay? When he, he's going to, so this is what they're doing in his absence, Luke 19, verse 11. By the way, Mark 16, 19 says, so then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. So the question is, is what did he go away to do? He's leaving them. What is he going away to do? Well, verse uh, Luke 19 and verse 11, and as they had uh, heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So what he's going, Mark 16, 19, what's happening here? Well, where did he go? Well, he went and sat on the right hand of God. He goes, he's the, the nobleman here, Luke 19, 11, and 12, where he's going to go up, receive the kingdom and then return. So when you come back to Mark 16 here, as we're winding down the ending of the chapter here, he's he went and sat on the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of God, that's where authority comes from. Uh, come back with me over to Luke, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. That's the place, the right hand of God is the place where authority comes from. He goes and sits where the Father is placing him because he's the one who the Father is going to commit all authority over heaven and earth to. And he sat down there. And Acts 2, that's very key that he sits the sitting is a temporary situation because what's he going to do? He's going to get the kingdom and he's going to return. But he's going to sit till it's time to return. Uh, Acts 2, and that's really what Peter's saying here, verse 22. Acts 2, and then we're going to look at Hebrews 1. So he sits down at the, at the right hand of God, the, at the place where the authority uh, rest resides. And Peter's going to explain this here now to Israel about what they did. Uh, two, 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 Acts two twenty two, The deuces are wild. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you as yourselves also know. Again, he's out preaching the word. He's out demonstrating that he is Messiah, and it's confirmed with miracles, wonders, and signs. Verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden. So what, he, here's this demonstration of him to be the Messiah by signs, miracles, and wonders. And then there's the witness account, all confirming that the Lord was Messiah, but then God raised him up. That even adds more to it. Now, if you draw your eye just right across the page to verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit, sit, Thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Sit here, sit until. See? So there's a timing event. By the way, verse 36: Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that, that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, that quote of, Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool is Psalms 110. So flip back there just real quick because Psalms 110 verse 1 is just a little different in the quote by Peter in Acts 2. And it's something we, we need to recognize here before moving over to Hebrews 1. Psalms 110 verse 1. This is the quote that Peter's making. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Well, in Acts 2, he says, verse 35, until I make thy foes thy footstool. So he uses Psalms as enemy. Foe is not as different. And the difference between the enemy and the foe is the foe is an active enemy. You can have an enemy that aren't doing anything, they're just dormant. But a foe is an enemy that's that's actively fighting against you. And literally what's happening in Acts 2 is that satanic captivity of Israel, the apostate Israel, they are fighting against the Messiah. They're fighting against the... The, the little flock, the believing remnant, the 12 apostles, and it's an act, active engagement here. So, he sits at the right hand. It's a temporary sitting. Now, if you come back to Acts 7, we see him stand up at the end of the year here. Acts chapter 7 and verse uh, 55, just kind of jumping in here, Stephen uh, And he, that's Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So you're going to sit at my right hand. It's going to be temporary. Sit here as the one who will reign and who will establish the kingdom and who will get the job done. Acts 7, it's time for him now to do what? Stand. And that's why when Stephen sees that, verse 55, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And the glory of God is a picture of the armies of heaven are ready to come back now in, in second coming wrath and judgment. Now come over to Hebrews chapter number one. So Hebrews chapter one. So Mark sixteen nineteen. so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven after the 40 days, and sat on the right hand of God. So he's sitting, in, and it's a temporary posture, because he's going to return with the kingdom. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews 1, 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The majesty, so after the cross, he's paid for the sins. He's been resurrected, now he's sitting down on on the right hand of the majesty, that's the Father, on high. He's sitting down as the rightful king, as the rightful ruler, and in that place that the Father has prepared for him, really over the the heaven and the earth. We, We know now the heavens. Come over to chapter 10 of Hebrews, chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, by the which will, um, you've got to go back up to verse 7 here to, find, to catch the will. Uh, Hebrews ten seven. then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offerings and burnt offering and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. What is, what is Calvary accomplishing for Israel? That's what Hebrews is doing. What's what Hebrews is explaining. The will, by the which will, we are sanctified. The will, of God, the will here is through the blood of, cro- of the cross. It's going to do away with the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, the first covenant, and it's what's going to establish the second covenant, the new covenant. Okay? So, verse t- 10, by the which will, that will that is established by the Father and then carried out by the Son... We, we are sanctified through the offering of the bl- body of Jesus Christ once for all. The old covenant can never take away the sins. They can never fix it. Verse 11, and every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. That old covenant never got the job done. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Well, why, would, why did he sit down? You see, the, the Lord here, he comes up and sits down. This man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's gone to the cross, he's died, he's been buried, he rose again. He spent 40 days with the, the disciples, the apostles and all, and then he, he ascends up and sits down at the right hand of God. By the way, verse 13, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Why did he sit down? Well, first, two reasons he sits down. One, the redemptive plan and program and the redemptive work is done. He's died once for all. There's no one else going to die. There's no redemption is settled. Then he sits down until number two, really, it's time to do what? <laughs> come back and deal with his enemies. He's going to come back now and make his enemies his footstool, verse 13. So there's more t- going on at Calvary and in Israel's program than him just dying for their sins. He's now going to also deliver them from satanic captivity, he's not only going to deliver them from the enemy, but he's going to avenge the enemy, annihilate them, kill them. It's interesting, you see the, uh, what are those guys' names in Yemen that they were just bombing? Houthis. Well, if you don't destroy them, what happens? They pop back up. See, I guess we don't learn that. From history, I don't know, but you go in. You got to, to do it. You have to annihilate them. You got to wipe them out. Well, that's what the Lord's going to do. It's one thing to deliver, be delivered from an enemy, but leave that enemy in place because then that enemy comes back. The Lord's going to come back, and He's going to avenge them. He's going to annihilate the enemy of Israel, His enemies. Verse fourteen: For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You see, when Jesus Christ ascends up and sits at the right hand, he's demonstrating that the work of redemption is done. It's The work of redemption has been accomplished by the death, burial, and resurrection. Then he's able to, then, number two, come and sit now until it's time to come back, make his enemies his footstool, and reclaim, come back and take back creation. And that's what Matthew uh, 28 is talking about. Go back there to Matthew 28. We read it a minute ago, but I wasn't paying attention to this part of these verses in Matthew 28. And that's what this commission is making a reference to. Now, Matthew 28, same time period, as Mark, as Luke, okay, the, in, in this commission, by the way, there's a verse here in this commission that always gets overlooked. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Notice that. He has all of it. He's going to go and sit at the right hand of God the Father. He's going to sit at the right hand of God. That place of authority, all power and authority is his. He's just not exercising it yet. Why? Because he's going to sit until the time of his enemies are made his footstool. It's not time for him to exercise his power and authority. By the way, verse 18 is a verse that always gets just read right over because we're looking for verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, they're going to do that. Why go out and teach all the nations, the the Gentiles? Well, because, verse 18, all the power is given to him in heaven and earth, the power, authority. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection, the Lord has functioned as the first mandate of the Davidic and the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. He's functioned as Redeemer. Now he can come and fulfill the other mandates of the covenant, which is that issue of being deliverer, avenger, king, and blesser, the five five titles. And he can do that. All of the the power, all of the governmental structure belongs to him. And what he's doing here, again in verse 18, he's uh, going to ascend up He's looking for them out into the future. Here's what you're going to do in the kingdom. And by the way, verse 19 is a fascinating verse because this is the verse that everybody uses for the formula on baptism. In Acts 2.38, they don't use this formula. See, And the reason is, is because for the Jews, they don't have to tell them who the Father is, who the Son is, or who the Holy Ghost is. The Jews already know who that is. The believers already know who they, they are. But the Gentile doesn't. So what do they have to do? They've got to get they've got to educate them, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. They got to educate the nation the nations don't know. Now, think about what's happening here. The authority, all the power, verse 18 is given unto me in heaven and in earth, the authority of the, of, of the adversary, Satan and his angels, they've usurped the, the, the God's authority, Creator's authority. Okay? And that authority that Satan usurped and took okay, has been nullified by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, because of his death and resurrection, now he is, verse 18, the rightful authority over all the universe. Now, he hasn't taken it up yet, but the power is his. So the the point here of him going and sitting at the Father's right hand I'm going to sit here until it's time to make my enemies my footstool. I'm going to sit here until it's time to come back and take it. And that issue of reclaiming authority in the earth, he's going to reclaim it through the nation of Israel. We know now today through the Apostle Paul in the heaven, he's going to use the body of Christ. Ephesians 1.10. Now, Go with me to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, because when you study prophecy, the goal of prophecy is the establishment of the kingdom of God in the earth, and, and again, we're going to do Daniel in five minutes, okay? Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has three times sacked Jerusalem, God's given him over. Judah is the last fall, so they're taken. Then Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 sees an image and has a dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is the start of Leviticus 26, the fifth course, where Israel is going to be scattered out among the Gentiles. Israel, I I think of that time when they, they go to Samuel and say, we want a king like everybody else does. And Samuel's like, it's not time for you to have a king yet. Calm down. You're going to get one, but it's not God. No, no, no. We want one, one, one. And they elect Saul. They make Saul king. Well, that was not, but so God says, okay, you want to be like the Gentiles? Go for it. Knock yourself out. And it was horrific. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's doing. That's what God's doing with Nebuchadnezzar here. He looks at Israel and he says, listen, you're going to i'm going to scatter you out there you want to live like the gentiles you want to look like the gentile i'm just going to let you go and he's demonstrating to israel that his judgment if you want to call it that his his chastening his chastising them but he's not going to abandon them Let's see i'm going to chastise you, I'm going to correct you, I'm going to discipline you, I'm whatever you need to say, but I'm not abandoning the promise. Why? Because if he abandons the promise, he's a liar, and God's not a liar. God who could not lie, see. So what does he do? The chastisement, that fifth cycle, again, is to teach them a lesson. What it is to be out among the Gentiles, it, it literally, it goes back to Abraham, when he tells Abraham, your seed's going to go down, and it's going to be a great horror of darkness. You guys want to live on like the Gentile? Go right ahead, knock yourself out. I'll be right here when you're done. Literally, that's that's. he's just turning them over. So Nebuchadnezzar has a vision. And in the vision, it gets explained to him by Daniel in the interpretation of what is called the times of the Gentile. And the political rule and reign over the earth of the Gentiles. That that time of the Gentiles is ongoing even today. And it will not cease, it will not stop until the Lord comes back and establishes His kingdom. It's ongoing. So you got Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. By the way, that's where they started in Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. Then you've got the Medes and the Persians, and then you've got Greece. Now, Greece gets busted up into four components. The two legs come out of of, of 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 two of those four, and what happens then is the Antichrist comes out of the leg and the feet and all that stuff, and you got all of that. But look at verse 44. So you've got this literally before the historical events happen. The Lord is through Gabriel is through Daniel is telling is. Prof- prophesying uh, Gentile history. Now, look at verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as I saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain, Without hands. By the way, mountains in your Bible are usually nine out of ten times kingdoms. They're references to kingdoms, not, unless it's very specific, like Mount Sinai or Mount you know, whatever. Unless it specifically tells you a geographical hill, it's usually representing a kingdom, a nation. Then he says, uh, and that it break in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. What's going to happen? The God of heaven is going to establish a kingdom on the earth. And that kingdom on the earth, the goal of prophecy, the God of heaven is going to set up his kingdom in the earth. By the way, in Isaiah, it says that the Gentiles see that kingdom and they, they, they see the brightness of that kingdom and they come flocking to it, see? So the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom. So you know what you can call that, right? The kingdom of God. Or you could call it the kingdom of heaven. Two terms, same thing. Interchangeable. So the God of heaven sets up a kingdom called kingdom of God, call it the kingdom of heaven, whichever, because Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven, and Mark and Luke and John call it the kingdom of God. But it's an interchangeable term, see. That's why in Deuteronomy, Moses is going to tell them that the kingdom is going to be like the days of heaven on earth. Matthew 6, our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. The Father in heaven, that's not where he's supposed to be. Where is he supposed to be? In the kingdom on the earth. And that's, that's the function here. Come over to Psalms 82, or back to Psalms 82. So the goal of prophecy is the setting up of God's kingdom. He's sitting at the right hand of God. All of the authority, all of the power, the rightful ruler of the universe is in place. He has the power. He just hasn't taken it up yet because there's a time, a sequence of events that has to take place. Notice Psalms 82. Psalms 82, look at verse 8. The cry of prophecy here. By the this is a second coming psalm. The plea here, arise, O God, judge the earth. He sits till it's time to do what? Come and pour out His wrath. Judge the earth. He sits till His enemies are made His footstool. But when He does that, see, when he comes back and he pours out his wrath look at the end of the verse for thou shalt inherit all nations when he does come and arise and judge the earth what's he get what's his reward he gets all the nations all the, the that had all those nations that had been turned over to satan and the satanic policy of evil in Genesis 11, where he gave them up, gave them over, gave them up, he now then gets them all back. They return to him. So he's literally, redemption pro- plan is done, work's done. Now he's got this plan of reconciling the nations on the earth. Now again, we know through Paul, he's going to reconcile the heavenly places, but this is the focus is on the earth. And the issue in prophecy is more than redeeming Israel. But it's also to, it's more than just rescuing Israel from the strong man. It's also to rescue the Gentile nations from satanic captivity and bring them back to that purpose, bring them back to the reason that he created them to start with. Why in the world? Genesis 10 takes the three boys and divides them up and sends them out there. What's going on here? Why? And so that's the that's the sitting on the right hand. Now come back to Mark 16. And again, we'll look at a little bit more of it because I'd like to get through these two verses and then we'll do some housekeeping or cleaning them up next time, okay? Next week. Christ ascends into heaven. He was received up into heaven, and then he sat on the right hand of God. So the picture here, he's won the right to sit in the place of authority, where the Father is giving him the power, the authority, the right to have the kingdom, and he's going to return when it's time to set it up. So again, he doesn't sit there forever. He went to receive the kingdom, Luke 19, the nobleman, receive the authority from the Father, and then return and set up the kingdom. Okay? So that's, so that's what he's doing. <laughs> he, when, you, when you think about this, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, so after the 40 days, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Well, what's he doing? He went up, he's sitting there, he's waiting. It's time to wait now until the time. But now notice verse 20, and they went forth. So what are they? What are the servants? Mark is picturing the Lord as servants and he's been talking about serving and the servants and immediately and 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 all of those action terms, words. What are they going to do while he's gone? Verse 20, what did they do? And, And again, that's What their commission is telling them here, while he's gone, you're going to occupy, and here's how you're going to do it. Occupy, occupation. You got a job to do. What did they do? They went forth and preached everywhere. Now, I know what happens. Everybody gets into that preach everywhere. So they went, you know, they they came to America and preached, did they? No. No. But was America here? Yeah. But it wasn't America. You know? Did they go to the Bahamas? I love that one. I had a guy, oh, they weren't, they didn't go to the Bahamas. Well, the Bahamas were there. They just weren't called the Bahamas. See. So preaching everywhere. You got to use common sense here. And I know we like to uh, look over at Luke 24. Preached everywhere. The idea, the common sense of it is, is they didn't go preach in every single place on the earth. But rather, everywhere they went, what'd they do? They preached. Do you follow that? That's what they did. Because there's another commission, Luke 24, that's going to guide them onto where they're going to be going. So when he says, and they went forth and preached everywhere... The idea is, is everywhere they went, they preached. Now, where did they go? Well, Luke 24, 46. After He's opened their understanding in verse 25, that they might understand the Scriptures, He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at where? Jerusalem. Now, I know what the preachers do. They say, well, Jerusalem is your hometown. And uh, because it's your hometown, then you need to be out there preaching in your hometown, and you need to be doing. And you know what? Every time I've looked at a map, come over to Acts chapter 1, every time I've looked at a map, Jerusalem is sitting in the Middle East. It is not here in Mesa. And I know what they do. They try to spin it so that they can use those to get, get on, you know, and put you on there. But what, they had an order. Where were they to start? At Jerusalem. By the way, you're in Acts 1. Uh, look there at verse 11. Just real quick on that thing about Jerusalem being their hometown. Which the, uh, and while they, verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which said, Ye men of what? Are you there? Acts one eleven. Ye men of where? Galilee. You see, their hometown wasn't Jerusalem. They're in Galilee. That's up north. These guys are northerners. See, Jerusalem wasn't even there. But yet, what did they do? They verse twelve. Then returned they unto Jerusalem. Why? Because what did Luke twenty four tell them? You're going to start in Jerusalem. Actually, what is verse eight going to tell them? We'll get there. Come back up to verse six. So when they went. They had an order to their going, and everywhere they went, they were preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom. They were preaching, and in Luke 24, 47, it started at Jerusalem. Now look at Acts 1, uh, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, and again, they did come together, they've been together, verse 3, for 40 days. So they've been coming together when they came together they ask of him saying Lord wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel They you, you got to enjoy the word again They ask this question and they understand the nature of the kingdom and that the kingdom was going to be like the one they had before. Will you restore again the kingdom? What did they have before? They had a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. Actually, before they had King David on the throne. They understood what was going on. They understood that this was a continuation of the earthly ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Nothing new here. Verse 7, He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And John 7, verse 39, talks about when the Lord, when the Son is resurrected and He's sitting at the right hand of Father, when He's glorified, then who can come? The Holy Spirit can come. Prior to that, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, see, come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. They understood the order of their going. They weren't out here going, which way do we go, guys? They started at Jerusalem. Why? Matthew 5, Jerusalem is the city of the great king. We're going to start there. And then we get there done, and then we move over here, and then we move over here. Verse 9, he's a, uh, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of his sight. He's taken off. Where did they go? They went out. Actually, as late as Acts 11, they're preaching to the Jews only. And that's interesting. Where did they go? They didn't just. Hey, you know what's going on? No, they they had a they're preaching to the Jews. Why? Because Jerusalem, Israel, they had, they, Israel hasn't responded positively to the message yet. They're still rejecting. And it's Israel that has, they're to be that channel of blessing. They're the ones that are to be fixed so that the blessing of the kingdom can go out through. The nation of Israel out then to everyone else. They were that channel. So everywhere, it started in Jerusalem. They didn't just willy-nilly walk around and say, "Hey, I think today we're going to go down to Yemen. Let's go." You know, what? no. They had order, and f- because Israel, uh, look over at uh, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter twelve, Zechariah. Chapter 12. Zechariah 12 and verse 7. Zechariah 12, 7. Um, yeah, the, the Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first. That, why why save the tents of Judah first? That the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You see, th- Judah is to is first. Why? Because they're that they're the channel of the blessings of the kingdom going out. So when you come back to Mark sixteen, verse twenty, They went forth and preached everywhere. Everywhere they went, what were they doing? They were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Back up to verse 15. Go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They are preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Then verse 20 says, the Lord working with them. All right, well, how's the Lord working with them? Well, we know from John, come over to John, 16, John 14, John 14, yeah, John 14, 26, the Lord in the upper room, the night before he dies, tells them, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So he's commissioning, he's authorizing the writing of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then if you come over to chapter 16 and verse 12 and 13, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now, howbeit when he... The Spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, and off he goes. So, how, So when that verse says, the Lord working with them, come over to John 7, How's the Lord working with them? He's working through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who's working through some words that is going to communicate what the Lord had said, so they're right on par, and then he's going to communicate some words to them about the things to come and the future. See, the the Lord's working. uh, John 7, look at verse 37. John 7, 37. In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now watch verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. His glorification was his ascension and him sitting at the right hand of God. Now, what can happen? Acts 2, day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit can come. So the Lord with them, working with them, and that's what he's doing. But what is, what is the Lord doing? Confirming the word with signs following. And again, we've talked about the signs when we went down through verse 17 and 18. But signs have a purpose, and their purpose is exclusively to confirm the Word. Uh, Come over with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Even with Paul, in the early days of the church, the body of Christ, when signs were actively ongoing, until the completion of the Word of God, they were being used to confirm the Word. Okay? Uh, you got Hebrews 2. Look, if you will, there at verse 3. Hebrews, the, again, the purpose of the signs, the wonders, the miraculous events were to confirm the, pre- the Word being preached. They were not for entertainment purposes. They were not for giving Melanie more than Nikki, Not at all. They were not for Ed to have something and Ted be left out. They were never that way. The purpose was always to confirm the word. Therefore, a word of truth had to be what? Preached. Say. Why? Because the sign's going to confirm that it's true, And not error. We'll see it in just a minute here in Deuteronomy. But look at Hebrews 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? So, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. There's the early Acts period. So, and the reason you know that is we just read John 7, 39. When does the Holy Ghost show up? There, verse 4, and gifts of the Holy Ghost. The gifts of the Holy Ghost were not back there prior to the ascension. They show up in Acts. Acts chapter 2. Okay? So when Christ is glorified, again, He ascends up, sits at the right hand of God. God the Father then sends the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He then begins to use signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts to confirm that what the little flock is preaching is the word of truth. Now, On your way back to Exodus, stop in Acts 2. Because that's what's going to happen here with the end. I mean, again, we're ending Mark with what is the Lord doing? He's ascending up to do what? Sit. All the power and authority is His. The Father sends the Holy Spirit, that little flock goes out, they begin working everywhere they go, they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and they're doing their jobs, and then the Holy Ghost shows up and He gives them the signs, the miracles, the miraculous supernatural events to confirm it out. Acts chapter 2, we didn't read this a minute ago, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Why, Peter says, why Christ was raised, what does the Old Testament say? The reason behind the resurrection of Christ. Verse 30, to sit on a throne. Now, Paul comes in and says he was resurrected for our, he was raised for our justification. Old Testament doesn't say that. They say in the Old Testament, Peter confirming it says, listen, he's resurrected to sit on a throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up. Whereof we are all witnesses. We all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. And what Peter's doing, he's explaining to the masses what you see us speaking in tongues is a fulfillment of Joel 2, it's a fulfillment of Psalms. 16, 132, uh, Psalms 110, all of those prophetic passages that say that now the Son has been exalted, glorified. And He's confirming them with signs. Again, all, all of the sign stuff is designed to confirm the word of truth. Now go back to Exodus 4. Because that we started here a couple weeks ago looking as Israel starts her national life, here is what is happening. The, the purpose of these two signs given to Moses, for one, you got to appreciate Moses. And Moses answered and said, but, now he just had the burning in the bush event, where God says, you're going to go down there and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he goes, but, he's, he's, he's already arguing with God. But, behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. So what does the Lord do? He gives him two signs, Exodus 4. He gives him two signs. The first one is the rod. And and verse 3, and he said, cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it up, and it became a rod again. Now watch. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. What's the purpose of that sign? To make the people believe the word from Moses, which is what? The Lord appeared to me, we're getting out of here. Nothing else. Not to make Moses' life easier, not to make somebody else's life difficult. It's to confirm the word given to Moses. Verse 6, and the Lord said furthermore unto him. And then he's got the leprous hand in the bosom, leper, back in clean. Verse 8. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs. And he gives him another one. Now, if you look over at verse 29, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. So what did Aaron do? Here's the word of the Lord given to Moses. And did the signs in the sight of the people. What did Aaron do? He did it. Bam, bam. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon them, uh, upon their affliction, they then they bowed their heads and were, what the signs do? They confirmed, Aaron spoke the word that the Lord gave Moses, did the signs, and the people believed. And that's what they're there for. Again, it's they're not there to help anybody. They're not there to make something easier for one group and harder for another group. They are they are not everyday occurrences. Come over to Deuteronomy 13. They weren't for everybody. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, in Christendom, everybody thinks that this happened on a daily basis, and it does not. It's just like the issue of water baptism. You know, People say, oh, you know, Israel, water baptism. You know, an average, the Joe, the average believer in the Old Testament was never water baptized. The only group of people in the Old Testament that were ever water baptized was that of the priesthood, the, Lev, the Levites. That's it. Why? Because baptism is identification. What are we doing? We're identifying the priest. There they are. The Lord comes in. And he's now developing the little flock, the believing remnant. But who are they to be? That kingdom of priests. So then what do they need to be? Water baptized. See, it wasn't an ongoing, everything, everyday thing. They didn't need it. They need it over here. Look at Deuteronomy 13. And by the way, the signs are the same way. Elijah does signs. Elisha does. Why? To confirm the word. To confirm the message. Look at Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign, so the signs and wonders are are happening, and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee. So there's a guy there, and he, he heals the person, and it happens. It's a legitimate thing that happens. But notice verse 2, the guy then turns and says, let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. The guy does the signs. And what Moses is warning Israel is there's going to be people come up and they're going to do things. They're going to do the sign, and he's going to give his word. But what is his word? His word is, let's go worship other gods. See that in verse 2? So the word that the guy's preaching doesn't match the word of truth. Because who really led them out of Egypt? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. See, They're not to have any other gods before... Verse 3, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul. You see, Moses is warning Israel here. You're going to see people do stuff, and then they're going to teach false doctrine, and you better not listen to them. Actually, verse 4, verse 5 And that dreamer, that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. You need to take the guy out and kill him. Now, he does the sign. It's a done deal. It's a legitimate thing. But his word doesn't match the word of God, the word of truth. So what do you do? You go 86 him. You see, the book, the word, you're going to follow the book. Verse 4. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. You see, the book is the authority, not the experience. The signs are designed to confirm the word. Then the word is the issue, and it's always that way, everywhere through Scripture. Even when you come into with Paul in Acts, look in Acts 19. Actually. Look at Romans 15, and then we're going to go get 1 Thessalonians. Because I I was thinking about this. We have this weird perception, and it's religion that's done it to us. Actually, when we get into 1 Corinthians 3, and Paul is going to call the Corinthians babes, and then when you go over there to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where he talks about the sign gifts, he literally is saying, if you believe in signs, you're a baby. You've not grown up. You're immature. You're you're a child. Because the sign gift, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, has ceased. It has stopped because the word is complete. So if you're over here playing with, he he likens it to, to baby toys, toys for the babies. It's, it's very, it's very uh, startling how Paul does that. And, uh, it, and he starts it in 1 Corinthians 3, which is where we're at on Sunday. But first got to clean up some stuff in the end of chapter 2. But it's because what's replaced that sign is the completed word. Look at Romans 15. In Romans 15, look at verse 18. For I will not dare speak, of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and around about unto Illyricum uh, I have fully preached the gospel. You see that through mighty signs and wonders? Paul did something. He did signs. You go back to Acts 19 and there are special miracles and he he's healing people with the handkerchiefs and he's doing this. Acts 28, the, the viper comes out of the fire and gets him and he takes it off and throws it in there. Who's watching that? The Gentiles are. And they're like, we don't have a verse to back it up, but that's a sign that this guy is really what he says and who he says he is. You see, Satan, Paul didn't have a verse to look, to look to. Come over to 1 Thessalonians 2. He had a sign that confirmed the word that God had put in and given to Paul. And by the way, when Paul goes into the synagogue and they're doing things like that, the issue with Corinth, it's joined hard right next door to the synagogue, and the two of the preachers are now over in the Corinthian church, they leave the synagogue. Well, they're doing the signs over here, and, and literally what Paul is saying is, look, Israel, God has left you. He's visiting the Gentiles now. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then Paul starts doing their signs, and the Gentiles do their signs. And it's like, oh, my goodness, he has, because they understood the confirmation issue. Notice 1 Thessalonians 2. Notice verse 13, because we use this verse. And there's some things in it that are very, need to be need to catch. Oy, it's almost time to quit. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. Now, Paul hasn't written anything when he's traveling through Thessalonica yet. Okay? If Thessalonians is his first book, that's Acts 18, where he writes it from Corinth. If Galatians is his first book, that's right at about the same time, either way. They don't have Scripture to look at. When Paul says, back in chapter one, ye became verse nine, ye became followers of us. Verse 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner. See, when he comes in there and gives them my gospel, and his part of his my gospel is that God has left Israel and the salvation of God is now being preached among the Gentiles, they hear that and they believe it to be what? The word of God. How? They don't have a verse to go to like you and I. By the way, we're very spoiled. Because we have a completed word. We have it. See, What did they see Paul do that would confirm the word to be the word of God? To confirm what Paul's preaching to be the word of God. Verse 13, "...ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe." What did they go? They saw Paul do signs and miracles and wonders and supernatural events. You see. Do you know why, if you go and try to do what Paul did, like Acts 19, the handkerchief thing, and it doesn't work? Because we have a completed book. Do you know how you can tell if what I'm teaching you, whether what I'm teaching is right or wrong? You got a book, you got verses to go look at. You don't have to have a you know, a sign because we have the completed word. And that, again, that's what 1 Corinthians 13, 8, 9, 10, and 11, and so forth, tell us. So when you come back to Mark 16, it's time to quit. And we'll look at that throne, right hand of God and the throne of God, the throne room and all that next time. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, the Apostle Paul, telling, talking to, uh, just look over there, I'm sorry, I just think about things as we kind of go here. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul, dealing with the spiritual gifts, verse 31, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. That's the completed books coming. And when the completed word, when the word is complete, then the sign gifts, chapter thirteen, verse nine, verse eight, is going to vanish off the scene. Thirteen eight, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail; whether there be tongues, they shall cease. You know what that means? It's going to stop. Whether, they be no, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Oh well, wait a minute, knowledge. For we know in part and we prophesy. We have partial knowledge at the moment. Verse 10, but when that which is perfect is come. Perfect what? Well, verse 9, perfect knowledge. Then that which is in part shall be done away. Perfect, 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17, that the man of God may be perfect. How's that accomplished? All scripture is given by all the scripture. When the word is complete, then the sign program, the gift program stops, it isn't ongoing. Why? Because I don't need that to confirm the word over here. I have the completed word, that's my authority. Not this over here. By the way, 14. One Corinthians fourteen verse three, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men, to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Those three things, edification, exhortation, and comfort, the whole the Scripture now accomplishes and does. You don't need a gift. Bam. By the way, you also how you know that is in Ephesians four. He gave some apostles and prophets, pastors, teachers. And then in 2, 1 Timothy 3, he says, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good word. See, it was a gift before. The word's completed. Now it's, a, it's not a gift. I'm not a gift. Sorry. <laughs> now it's, uh, I desire the office. I have, something's boiled up inside of me to get out. So we're going to go do. Okay? All right. Mark 16, verse 20. Again, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. It's Again, we'll clean some stuff up there about the right hand of God in the throne room. And we'll do that next time, okay? All right, you've been patiently sitting there now for an hour, so I'll let you go. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for your completed word. Now we can rest on its authority. And it'll be what guides us in all manners of our life, all the details. And we just rejoice that we have it and we thank you for it. In your name we pray, amen.